I'm Jeff Black. I'm the worship pastor here, and I'm so privileged to uh, conclude our series today on better. And I promise you we're going to keep it short. It's not going to be a long message. I'll only keep it till about 1130. So just sit back and relax. But, you know, this, this series has been very special to me this summer as we've walked through the book of Hebrews and uh, looking at this letter to early Jewish Christians and how to encourage them to have better lives. But especially because the fact I, I have never gotten to kick off a series. I don't know if you guys remember back in the beginning of June, I got to introduce the series and then now I get to close it. It's kind of cool for me. I mean, if you look in the middle of those two, we have like, you know, Pastor Greg Henneman and, and Greg Martin, great speaker. So it's kind of like a Greg sandwich, you know, with, with a, instead of white and rye or wheat bread, it's Jeff Black bread on the side. So it's a, it's a nice package sandwich for you all on the idea of better. But really, we hope, and our prayer is, just like Ken mentioned earlier, our, our vision as a church, our mission as a church is to help people find God and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so our hope and our prayers is with every message we do, every Sunday experience you come and, 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 and you partake in, you will grow in your relationship with Jesus and we'll help you find God. And that's what this series has done for me. It's helped me grow in my relationship with Jesus. So many points and different ways to encourage us to find Christ. But I want to share with you a story. A few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to take a a trip with our youth group, our student ministry group, on a backpack trip. And we were up in the Porcupine Mountains, and it was beautiful scenery. I mean, it doesn't feel like you're in Michigan when you're up there. And we had a great time. And one night, I I was sleeping. I have this, like, hammock, uh, backpacking hammock thingy. I was sleeping in the hammock, and I woke up. And it was really bright, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you could hear the animals and stuff. And I, I kind of listened to see if people were still stirring or if anybody was up yet because, you know, hopefully someone else is going to start the fire. But I'm sitting there laying there trying to go back to sleep because I just, I'm not sure I want to get up yet. And have you ever felt that way where you just got to get out of bed? You can't go back to sleep. You can't do anything else. So I just decided, you know, maybe it's a good idea to spend some time with God this morning. <laughs> maybe that's why I can't go back to sleep. So I hop out of the, the, the hammock and I kind of climb out, out of the tarp. And I come to find out, it's not morning at all. It's actually still pretty like late at night, early morning, because the moon was shining so brightly, it lit up our campsite uh, like daytime. I mean, it was amazing. And so I hopped out. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I should yeah, really spend some good quality time with God. So I, I walked over to, uh, we were camping right by Lake Superior. And I walked over right to the edge of the water, and I sat on a log. And I, I just started praying. I mean, I really wasn't praying, but rather talking to God and kind of sharing my heart with God, uh, just my passions for our church uh, in my life and, and what I want to see. And God, I hope you can do this. I want to do that and do this and do that. And I'm talking and talking and talking as, as I tend to do, if you know me. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the sun started coming up on this side of the lake. So like these bright red things are coming up out of the, out of the sky. And the moon is still full over the water. And it was such an amazing experience that it, like, quieted me. It, like, shut me up for a minute. I was kind of in awe of, wow, God. And I realized in that moment, God was kind of calling me down and saying, shh, Jeff, all those things are great that you just told me about. But what I really want from you is to know me more. I really want you to know me. And that, that really struck a chord in my heart that day. And for the last few weeks, I've been really wrestling with that in my life. And not wrestling like, oh, struggling, but like, how can I do this? How can I figure, I want to know God more. And I realized as I examined some of the points that we've talked about in Hebrews and even what we're going to talk about today, the better life that we've been talking about and what today's message is entitled is really about knowing God more. How can we know him more? And today we're going to focus in on Hebrews chapter 13, And four characteristics that I believe that if we possess these characteristics, we will know who God is more in our lives and we will know who we are to him. 
And not just possess them like, okay, I understand them, but where they're actually exemplified in the way we live our lives. So we're going to look at four characteristics that I feel the writer in Hebrews is, is talking to the people, the, the early Jewish Christians. So if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 or pull out your smartphone or do whatever you need to do to, to find Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read the first eight verses of that chapter. All right, Hebrews 13. Verse 1, these are the concluding exhortations. So this is like, okay, the final stanza, this is my letter to you, and now I'm concluding. So these are the the most important things he wants to to capitalize on at the end of the letter. Verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as you yourselves were suffering. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then the most important we'll conclude is verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now there's a lot there. I'm I'm hoping you've already cued in on a few verses that might be speaking to you. But but let me step back for a moment. And and what I want to do is this. You know, the previous 12 chapters of Hebrews are so important, they really set up 13, chapter 13. And and without it, almost none of 13 would make sense. And really, all of Scripture is that way, and a lot of the epistles are that way. They start off with 12 chapters of doctrine, of of reason, of, of, of purpose, and why Jesus came, and to introduce these kind of things. And really, chapter 13 is the way we can start living these things out. I hope you guys realize that in the Christian walk, it's not all about learning and feeding ourselves knowledge and getting to know God this way and through the word. It's also about knowing God by living those out in application. And there's a danger in doing just one or the other. So I encourage you, as you learn more about Jesus, practice it. Put it into your everyday lives and and live it out. So the original text of Scripture, they, they didn't have chapter breaks. I don't know if you guys knew that, like, like we get all these really cool chapter 12, chapter 13. Really, the original text was a full long letter that they would read to their church gathering. And I just got to say, y'all are lucky that we don't read like the full books of the Bible to you guys at one sitting because we'd be here for four hours, right? But that's how they did it. So in order to understand 13, we really need to just kind of look back at chapter 12. So I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there unless it's easy for you to flip back. Chapter 12, verse 28, and we're going to read it as if it were a letter. So leading all up to chapter 13, the author says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So so there's no real break there. We don't start 13, keep on loving. It's this beforehand. It says, therefore, all these things we've talked about, focusing on Jesus, a kingdom of God that's going to benefit us, uh, all these things that we've talked about before, we need to honor God. We need to worship God like Pastor Greg talked about last week. And and we need to love on God. And then going right into verse 1 of chapter 13, love others. 
Isn't that interesting? The, the writer of Hebrews, if you guys know, the greatest commandments that Jesus talks about are love God and love others. I think it's neat to cue in on that today. As Christians, we need to love God and love others. And that brings me to our first characteristic that we need to discuss today, and that is compassion. Compassion. It's a characteristic that the author of Hebrews mentions to us, and if we have that, we will know God more, and we can live that out in our lives. You know, while I sat there and I was talking to God and God said, I want you to know me more, I, I kind of said, okay, that's, that's cool. How do I do that? How do I know God more? Well, I read more about him, okay, and learn more about him, and talk more about him, I guess pray more, spend more time with him. But then this verse came to mind. It says, um, beloved, let us love one another. Does it sound familiar? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then it goes on to say, if you don't love, you don't know God, for God is love. So how do we get to know God? We've got to love others. We've got to show compassion. Compassion. It's a characteristic that we all need to have as Christians and to experience the better life. And the author here talks about showing compassion to three different types of people. The first is to the brothers and sisters of the church, the brothers and sisters of Christ. And, and the, the Greek word there is Philadelphia. You guys all know the city of Philadelphia, right? It's the city of brotherly love. The author is saying, as Christians, I want you to continue on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first group. So I, I think it begs the question to us today, are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we experiencing right relationship with the people in our congregation? Do you have any battles or quarrels going on in between you? Are there some restoration that need to take place? And let's say maybe beyond the context of our church, God's church is so much bigger than CCC, right? Are there other relationships that you need to renew or restore? Who are we not showing compassion to in the body of Christ? The second group of people that the author mentioned is to show compassion to complete strangers. And he alludes to when you show compassion to complete strangers, you might be entertaining angels without even knowing it. And what he's referring to there is in the Old Testament, Abraham and his nephew Lot actually entertained these men that they don't know at the time are angels. And actually one of them is interpreted to be Jesus Christ, uh, the pre-incarnate uh, himself. And, and they showed compassion to these people. And, and I don't think the author is saying this, hey, everybody, make sure you're on your best behavior because you never know when an angel's going to be here. No, he's not saying be on our best behavior to watch out for angels. I think he's cueing in on this. We, as Christians who show compassion to strangers, we never know when our one little act of compassion will make a huge difference. Why is compassion so big in our culture today? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that before? You know, I've seen on Facebook or on videos where you have these stories of compassion where someone does a kindness and a, a rack, or a, what is it called, a random act of kindness to strangers. These things get reposted and they get millions of views on these videos. Why is that so important to our culture today? I really believe it's because that's how God intended us to be, compassionate people. And when we see it and when we sense it in our world today, we cue in on it. We want more of it. We want to hear more about it. We want to know how we can do it ourselves. And how do we know that's, that's true? I, I'll just ask you guys, have you ever been the part of a re receiving of compassion story? Have you ever been the gift or the recipient of that compassion? You know, uh, one time my wife was in a store uh, at Home Depot and she had all the kids and all the cart was filled up and she gets to the front and she realized, oh my goodness, I don't have my wallet. I don't have my, my, my card to pay for this. And 
I mean, it's been a nightmare, and she's just kind of freaking out, calling me. How can we work this out, talking to the cashier? And then this, this really nice older man behind her said, you know, I'd like to pay for your bill. And she goes, no, that's not, no, that's not right. It's like $95. No, you can't do that. We'll just set it aside. He goes, no, really, I, I just want to do this for you. Would you let me do this for you? It's an act of compassion. It's wonderful. And, you know, it made us feel good to be a part of that. Or have you ever been on the other end where you're giving compassion or showing compassion to somebody else? Maybe you're nudged to, to help somebody out in need. How do you feel when that's done? Good, right? Don't you feel like this is how it's supposed to be? This is the real life. This is the better life that I really desire to live. We need to show compassion to others. The final group that he recommends we show compassion to is prisoners and, and those who are ill-treated. And now he's not talking about criminals in prison, although prison ministry is so important. Uh, he's actually talking about those who are persecuted for their faith or those who are being ill-treated. And he says to look out for those who are being persecuted or those who are suffering. And in our day of age, we really don't have a lot of persecution in America. I mean, there's not a lot that we suffer for the cause of Christ, but there is a lot of suffering. Don't you agree? So, so what I would encourage you to do, another group to show compassion to is those who are suffering. Resonate with them. Show compassion to them. Do you know somebody in the hospital who's sick? Do you know somebody who is bedridden? Do you know somebody who is lonely that just needs to be encouraged? Show compassion. When we show compassion and when we embody that characteristic, we know God more. So today I want to ask you a question. How are you at showing compassion? Where are you at in the compassion scale? The second characteristic I see here in our next point is, is purity. Purity. Let's go on to, to verse 4 in the text. And just so you know, parents, I don't see a lot of little kids in here, so I think we're okay. But we're going to be talking about um, sex in the context of marriage. And I promise you it will not be graphic. But if you want to take your kids out at this point, feel totally fine to do that. Uh, no, no judgment. It's all good. Um, but I want to talk about purity. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Purity. You know, over the past half century in our culture in America, we've taken a complete U-turn from the idea of marriage and purity, haven't we? I mean, it's sad today when you look at our culture and how we view sex and how we view marriage. You know, divorce is so prevalent and, and, and it's so easy nowadays. And even sexual, sexual immorality, homosexuality, transgender, uh, they're meant to be the norms now. They're meant to be accepted. And the author of Hebrews states something totally different right here. You know, how do we view our culture today and still hold truth to biblical, uh, biblical truths that God gives us? You know, back in the day when, when, when the first church was reading this, this letter, it was pretty much the same as it was today. Men were known for having uh, multiple partners, promiscuous partners. They were married, but they would have many different uh, relationships with, with other women. In fact, they'd even go to the temple and they could purchase prostitutes from the temple. That was the norm then, but Jesus Christ brought a radical new view. And he says, no, we need to honor the marriage bed. We need to keep sex sacred. Why? Because that was God's gift. We no longer can pervert it anymore. We need to keep it pure. So today, there are many of us here who are married, and maybe many others who aren't. 
And no matter where you're at, maybe you, you've been divorced before, maybe you've struggled with, with, with impurities or sexual immorality, this is not a time of judgment, but a time to really reveal God's truth to us. What does God say about being pure? So I want to give you a few ways that you can stay pure and honor the marriage bed. The first is purify your mind. Did you know this? All sin begins in the mind. And this means if we want to guard ourselves from sexual sin, we must realize what it is in our mind and turn from it the moment it enters into our mind. And Jesus made this point graphic when he said in Matthew 5, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to use one of your body parts than your whole body to be thrown in hell. He goes on to say, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to to lose one body part than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What Jesus is saying there is not literally to maim yourself, but he wants to underscore the seriousness of this idea of mental lust and impurity. He, He wants us to realize we need to cut off all of this immorality. Cut off the impurity. As soon as it enters into our mind, get rid of it and turn from it. To obey Jesus' words, we need to purify our mind. We need to really filter what comes into our bodies and into our minds. What TV shows are you watching? What movies are you watching? What videos are you watching that tempt you? We need to devise ways to block pornography from the internet. We need to also be accountable to one another. We need to find other people and and, and share our struggles with impure and immorality. We need to have them help us to be accountable in those areas. It's so important. What are you filtering in your life? We need to guard ourselves from sexual sin. One way we can also do this is to memorize Scripture. Memorizing Scripture transforms our minds, the Bible says. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it states, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. What are you filtering in your life? Movies, music, literature, images. And it's not just men, women. We need to be purifying our mind. Another thing we need to do is purify our environment. Don't put yourself in these types of positions where you might lust, where you might stumble into sexual immorality or impurity. Have you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many people have been to the Grand Canyon before? Okay, good. You guys kind of get the idea here. If you've been on the trails, they have these guardrails that are set up all around so we don't fall off the edge. I encourage you, a way to purify your environment is to start setting up guardrails in your life. Set up guardrails, not right at the edge so you have a chance to stumble over, but take some steps back from that edge and say, you know what, here's my guardrail. I'm not going to go beyond that. Purify your environment. Set up guardrails. Another way is to don't stray. Stay faithful. You know, the Bible talks about our relationship with God and to continually invest in our relationship with God. And I'm going to make that same connection with marriage. We need to consistently Pour into our marriages and into our spouses. Invest into those relationships because that will help us to stay sexually pure. That will help us not to stray from the marriage bed. Just like we need to focus on a relationship with God, we have to focus on a relationship with our spouse. And finally, for those of you who are single, I encourage you, commit yourself to wait. Why? Because God's plan is so much better. Now, this is going to require some faith because you're going to be going against the norms of society And why is that such a bad thing? We'll take a look at society. (laughs) What has sexual immorality brought us? Broken homes, broken marriages, broken children, broken people. God's ways are better. Let's trust his judgment in this matter.
So the second question I want to ask you, is purity something that you struggle with? The third characteristic that I want to bring about that I think the author talks about here is contentment. Contentment. Go ahead and turn back into verse 5, and I want to read just the beginning part of verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How many of you have ever said this before? If I only had blank, then I would be happy. If I could only have a little more of this, if I only lived like them, then I would be happy. It's true of us in our society today. We're not content with what we have. Why? Because we're too focused in on our own circumstances and we're looking at the circumstances of others. God promises us that he is more than enough for us. Why don't we find contentment in that? I'll share you a funny story that, that I looked up online I found in the Reader's Digest, and it's about this Jewish man who approaches his rabbi, okay? So a uh, Jewish man approaches rabbi, and he goes, Rabbi, I, my family, we live in this small place, and nine people in the same room. It's horrible. I, I hate my life. I wish I had a better life. There's my Jewish accent. Sorry, the best I can do. The rabbi says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your goat, because we all know, you know all Jewish families have a goat, right? They take your goat and bring it into your house with you for one week. Okay, so, so the guy does it. He takes the goat in and comes back a week later, and he's like, rabbi, this is horrible. The goat, it stinks. It's pooping everywhere, all over. It's eating my wife's hair, you know? And, and the rabbi says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and take your goat out of your house for the next week, and then come back. So the Jewish man comes back a week later. He goes, Rabbi, life has never been so good. You don't realize how good it is without the goat. We love our family. What has happened to that Jewish man? He's looking at a different set of circumstances, isn't it? Why are we not content in our lives? Because we're always looking for something better. I guarantee you today, if you started making a list of some of the bad things in your life and you write them down, oh, this is weighing heavy on me. Oh, this is weighing heavy on me. Then right next to it, start writing down all the good things that have happened in your life or the good things that are going on, I guarantee you that your good list is longer than your bad. And if not, then come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk you through this because God is good. And he promises that. He says, don't seek after money. Don't seek after more wealth because that's going to lead to unhappiness. The, the bad thing isn't necessarily more money. It's the focus on money making us happy. When we take our focus on money rather than, the, rather than God who gives us all of our needs, we become unhappy. We're focused more on the gift rather than the gift giver. We've, we've watched a video before in church. I don't know if you guys remember. It's called the pie video. It's a really funny video. And this guy brings the pie to the table, and the pie represents his life. And he starts cutting slices, and he's handing it out to, like, you know, his mortgage, his car, his insurance, like a huge slice to the government. It was kind of funny, you know. And he goes around the table, and he's handing out these pieces of pie. And finally, he's got a quarter of the pie left. And he gets over to his left, and there's God. And, and God's just sitting there smiling. He's got a fork and looking at him. And the guy looks at God, looks at the pie, looks at God, and he does one of these. <laughs> then the auto guy, who cu curiously has a German accent, he goes, dude, he brought the pie. <laughs> it's so true that we, the problem in our society today, and we as Americans, is we take our focus off of the gift giver and we're focused more on the gift. We think it's never going to be enough. We think we have to hold on tightly to what God has given us. And what God is saying is, I want you to be generous. I want you to be content. Open your hands up, Christian. Be generous with what I've given you so then I can give you even more. I can give you more blessings. Are you content in your life today? The final thing that I want us to focus in on is the issue of confidence. Confidence. 
Who are you putting your trust in today? My dad tells a lot of stories, as, as I do, but I, I, I like this one in particular. Um, he was a young guy, around 12. My aunt was about nine years old, and they were in a park one day, and they're running around this park, and my dad finds this pond with a bunch of lily pads, and he finds a way around the pond or across the pond, and he's on the other side of the pond, and little sister, Aunt Jean, uh, Jeannie, you know, comes right up to the, to the pond, and she goes, Paul, Gary, how'd you get across this pond? And my dad, being the crafty guy he was, he goes, oh, well, Jean, I just walked across the lily pads right there. You can just walk right across, and just fine, try it out. And she kind of looked at him and looked at the lily pads. Okay. And she runs in and soon enough, first thing she steps on the lily pad, into the pond. She's crying. My dad's getting whipped with a switch. You know, all the great things happen. But what happened to Jean right there? She was placing her confidence falsely in my dad, trusting him for her security and her safety. And she was let down pretty bad. (laughs) But I think that's true for all of us as believers as well. We take our mind off of God. We put our confidence in other things. You know, a song we sang earlier today, Yes and Amen, it says, I will rest in your promises, God. My confidence is your faithfulness. I'm not going to trust in the things of this world. I'm not going to trust in in things that that, that take my mind off of you. I want to keep my focus and my attention on you because your promises are true. Where is your confidence today? Are you fearful? Do you doubt that God is going to provide for you? If you take a look back at your life so far and view the things that you've been through, how is it that in our current circumstances, we take our mind off God and we say, God, where are you? What happened? Take a step back. Remember what you've already been through. Remember that God is faithful. And even in the midst of it, he promises to be right with you. Where's your confidence? The Bible says this. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And I love verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, we got to have more confidence in God and the life that he has for us. We need to trust in him in all of our circumstances. Where's your confidence today? I'm going to invite the band out as we begin to close. And and I'm going to invite you to do just a few things. In your notes, if you want to, with those four different characteristics that I was talking about, I I want you to to really look at each one of them and ask yourselves those questions. Am I compassionate? How is my life as far as purity? Am I experiencing contentment in my life? Am I really confident in God's promises and who he is and who he says he will be? And I want you to do something real quick. Maybe right next to it. We all know stoplights, right? Red, yellow, green. I want you to do something. This is so you can take this no, these notes home with you and it'll help you through the rest of this week. These are ways we can apply what we've learned today and help us grow in our faith. Next to each one of those, I want you to mark either red, yellow, or green. And, and green means this, that I'm experiencing, you know, victory in these areas. Yes, I exemplify those. And for every green that you have, I want you to praise God for that. Say, thank you, God. Thank you for helping me in this area of my life. And if you have all greens, I want you to come up and talk to me afterwards because I got to know your secret. But look at which, which areas are green. Which areas are yellow? Which areas do you need to say, well, I need to put on the brakes here. I need to put up some guardrails in my life. And finally, which areas are red? Which areas are those that are challenging you the most this morning? Which areas are those, when I said the word, when we read the scripture, it was like a piercing of your heart. 
What are those red areas? And today, this is not a time to feel guilty about that, but a time to be open and honest with God and say, God, I need you. I need more of you in my life. Help me in these areas. Transform my heart, God. Renew me. Help me have more compassion. Help me to purify my heart. Lord, help me to be more content and to have confidence in you. What are those areas? And as we close in song today, I encourage you to be praying that. And finally, if you're here today and, and you don't know who God is, and I'm talking about knowing God, and you're like, I, I would like to know God, but I don't know how. Maybe you've grown up in the church, but you've never put your full confidence in who God is as your God, as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to take that step of faith right now. When we realize all that God's done for us, when we realize our own brokenness, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins, we step into a relationship where we can start to know him. We're broken people in a broken world, but God sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for our sins so that we could have a way back to knowing him. We could have a way back to the better life. Today, if, if you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness, if you've never asked God to be in your heart, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. So I'm going to ask the lights to come down at this time, and I'd love for you to bow your head and close your eyes. Today, if you would like to know God and take that step to, to, to a relationship with Him, make this next prayer yours, and make my words your words, if it's the desire of your heart. Say, God, I thank you for bringing me here today. I recognize and realize that I'm a broken person. I've been doing my life my way, God. And I ask that you would forgive me of the times I've sinned and done my own thing, turned away from you and your love. Forgive me for not having the right compassion, for not being pure of heart. Forgive me for lacking confidence in you and trusting my life to you. And forgive me for not being content. God, cleanse my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, if you prayed that prayer, that's the most important step you can make in your spiritual journey, and that is now you can get to know God even more. I encourage you to not walk this journey alone. Today, if, if you would fill out a card that's in the seat back in front of you or come up afterwards and talk to me or one of our prayer warrior team or our pastors and directors, we want to aid you and assist you. That's our mission, helping you find God and grow in your relationship with Jesus. We want to assist you on that journey. So please let us know about that. And today, if you've already accepted Jesus in your heart, as, as we sing this song, I'm going to invite all of you to stand together. Go ahead, you can stand right now. You're doing good. Stand together. And as we sing this song, ask God for more of him in your life. What are those areas of red that you need more of him? We're going to have some prayer warriors down front. If you'd like to come forward during this time for prayer, I invite you. But spend time reflecting on what God has said to you today. And let's ask him to transform our lives. Help us to have these areas and these characteristics so that we can experience the better life.